Hey, what you doing right here? Hey, we taking over 2K, she on my mama. In the back with my niggas, all this and we might act up. Come up cause you know we all strapped up. You want me cause you seen a nigga stacked up. But I can keep, I just wanna be the backup. To the first Bent podcast. Today we have our first guest, Spencer Percy, the former managing editor of Queen City Hoops and a key part of the Buzzbeat Radio podcast that is now a part of the Blue Wire podcasting network. Uh, currently, Buzzbeat Radio actually has promotion on Twitter where followers of Blue Wire Podcast can have a free shot at uh, some free Buzzbeat Buzz merch. Uh, Spencer, glad to have you on, man. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Um, you know, in talking to you before we jumped on here live, I, I told you I felt dumb. I, I can't believe how young you are. I'm now even way more impressed uh, with, with your work and what you've done with Queen City Hoops so far, and now I feel even better about the future of the website that, that I gave to you, put in your hands. I, I just thought, like, this kid has to be at least be in college. Like, he's just so well-spoken on Twitter. He knows his stuff. He knows the game, but just found out you're in high school. That's incredible. So, no, I'm, I'm happy to be on, and uh, thanks for asking me to come on the first episode. Of course, of course. Uh, so, first and foremost, I think we need to address the, uh, how do I put this, disappointing frustrating, confusing Miami game last night. Uh, the Hornets came out flat. They didn't exactly come out like a team that was uh, with a sense of urgency that needed to secure this win to keep alive their playoff hopes as the season winds down. But they came out flat, and they lost to the likes of a dude named Kelly, Kelly Olenek, and Hassan Whiteside, and they, they combined for 40 points against our Hornets. Uh, Olenek played a solid 45 minutes and torched the Hornets from range, shooting five for seven from there. And then Whiteside finished with 18 and 15, and nine of those 15 rebounds were on the offensive end. Mm -hmm. And it's just an embodiment of how poorly this Hornets front court has played recently and a big uh, need for this Hornets team to address in the offseason, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It, it seems like Whiteside always tortures Charlotte. Um, they can never match up with him. I mean, his size is just, it becomes overwhelming, it, you know, if you don't have a body to throw back at him. You know, Biz backs usually that guy for us, but, I mean, even Biz really couldn't couldn't hold Whiteside last night, especially on the glass. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. This Miami group, you know, they're a ragtag group. Um, they can beat you in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, most nights they're going to beat you with with your coat, with their coach, uh, as I, I really think was the storyline last night. I mean, <clears throat> Miami, you know, almost felt like they exclusively played zone, and, and the Hornets couldn't do anything with it. I mean, they, didn't, they weren't ready for it. Um, you know, it got the ball out of Kimba's hands because – you know, you can't run pick and roll really when you're going up against a zone. And, it, you know, it, there's just nobody else on this team that can consistently make a play. And that was very clearly Spolstra's, um, you know, that was his agenda in this game. And, and Miami uh, successfully, uh, you know, uh, got over the hump, you know, with that strategy. So, you know, you look at Miami's roster and you're not impressed. But like I said, at the end of the day, they've got, in my opinion, one of the top five coaches, maybe top three in the league. And I think that gets them over the hump when it matters. Absolutely, absolutely. I think this game, uh, in large part, it came down to a chess match between Borrego and Spolstra. And as to be expected out of a rookie head coach, Borrego was just outmatched. And he couldn't match what uh, Spolstra was bringing to the table. He tried to run his own 2-3 zone. But Miami had the inside pieces and was able to dissect their, off, their defense a lot better than 
Charlotte was able to do Miami. They took Kemba Walker out of the equation, and Charlotte actually relied on Frank Kaminsky down the stretch, which I'd love to get your take on Frank's recent play. Yeah, well, he's been, you know, he's been good. I said it on Busby, uh, the Busby podcast just last week. I mean, he he's really playing to prove something uh, right now, which he's done successfully. I mean, I think he's averaging like 17 points in this, you know, recent play, a game in this recent playing time that he's gotten. So I, you certainly can't fall Frank, right? Like he's given the bench at the very least a shot in the arm offensively. And there's something to be said for that. Um, he's come in and made the most of his opportunity. But I mean, I think like the larger conversation here is, you know, Borrego and his really at this point, just wild inconsistencies with his rotation. I, I just, in my opinion, it's not, you know, 64 games into the season or whatever it is now, uh, you know, that seems kind of late to me to now be benching Monk and benching MKG and benching Willie Hernan Gomez and and playing Bismack Biombo, you know, and Frank Kaminsky in very important minutes. I, I just, I, it, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, I understand that this roster is not, you know, loaded with talent and options and he's trying to press any button that he can to find something but you know if you're seriously making a playoff push uh this late in the season seems uh i don't know a little late to you know blow the Mm -hmm. dust off of guys like kaminsky and biz but you know borrego's a rookie head coach and, and those guys when they're tasked with trying to do two things at once you know develop young talent and make the playoffs, I think you can get a lost in translation, so to speak, a little bit. And I think that's what's happening here with Borrego. Absolutely. I mean, I saw I saw a tweet today that was from uh, Rod Boone of The Athletic, who you guys have also had on BuzzBeat Radio. Um, I saw a tweet from him today that said Borrego has told the media that he'll continue to tinker with the rotation, uh, continue to work guys in. Um, and honestly, like you said on BuzzBeat Radio, we need to find – Charlotte needs to find some middle ground where we used to be so frustrated with Steve Clifford never refusing to change up his rotation whatsoever, sticking to the same thing year after year. And with Borrego, it's a game-to-game thing with we have no idea who's going to get any minutes. Like, just for reference, uh, Frank Kaminsky didn't play the first four games out of the All-Star break, and now he's received 20 minutes each game over the past three games where he's averaged 17.7 points. 5.7 5.7 rebounds and 2.6 turnovers, but he's shooting 61% from the field. And like you said, you can't fault Frank. Like he's going out there, he's playing with a chip on his shoulder, and he's produced given the opportunity. And you absolutely can't fault Frank for that. Um, but again, I think this is just a rookie head coach working through his first season in the NBA. And these are the type of things that you expect from rookie head coaches. And I get uh, Hornets fans' frustrations with the team and uh, with the current direction the team appears to be heading, which is the lottery pick. Um, but I think you have to be patient with these types of things. And Borrego certainly hasn't been encouraging up to this point, but I don't think the pieces on the roster are there just yet. No, no, I agree. I mean, I don't think they are either. And, you know, this is – everything's a trickle-down effect in the NBA. I mean, it starts from the top, and it, and it comes all the way to the bottom. And <clears throat> this roster is – an accumulation of of less than stellar decisions in the past, um, most notably in the draft. Um, obviously, in free agency, you know, giving Marvin Williams and and Nick Batum those deals in the summer of 2016. But you know, it's if you keep swinging and missing in the draft, and then 
on an annual basis, it seems like those guys that just aren't really living up to that lottery um, pick potential are mm-hmm. also not giving or not getting a consistent chance to develop on the floor um, because you're trying to win with overpaid veterans to get the eight spot and make four million dollars in two home games. You know, it, it's the Hornets are trying to go way too many directions right now with a crappy overpaid roster. Like they're 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 in the worst shape I think of any franchise in the NBA. Um, there, I mean, there's a few teams you could throw out there and argue, but they just got to pick a direction. Like that 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 just has to happen at some point. And you know th- that's why I say everything's a trickle down effect. Like Borrego inherited a not great situation, but now again, he's being tasked with trying to do so many things at once. And that's just, that's a tough ask for any coach in this league, right? Like much less a rookie head coach. So this, it is not a good situation in Charlotte right now. And they, I wish they would pick a direction like from here to the rest of the season. Are we going to try to get the sixth or seventh best odds, you know, in the lottery, or are we really, really going to just keep doing what we're doing now, play these, you know, late to fourth quarter games where it's a two possession game. We're just going to try to scrap out a win, try to stay alive to the very end. I mean, I don't think that's a real smart play. Of course, that's what they're going to do. But I mean, again, the 10,000 foot view is like this franchise just has to pick a direction. Absolutely. And that's a great that's a great segue into our uh, next point, which is uh, where does Charlotte go from here? Uh, just looking in the short term, their upcoming schedule, uh, they play the Wizards at home and then they have a road trip. In the next week, where they go against Milwaukee, Houston, and Washington, um, they have a 17% playoff uh, chance according to 538. Not exactly looking too great out there for them. Um, but in terms of direction of the team in the long-term sense, uh, looking ahead towards this off-season, as the team should be doing already, uh, what are your thoughts on retaining Kemba Walker and what that could mean for the the plan for the franchise moving forward? Well, you know, I, I think that certainly if you look at kind of these, these parallel universes right now that exist within this organization, you know, they're, they're trying to make the playoffs and then their their number one priority when the season ends is to start, you know, lobbying Kimball Walker to sign a, a long-term extension in Charlotte. So those things are kind of running together. If you miss the playoffs and you don't re-sign Kimball Walker, you can't look at this thing and say it's not an organizational organizational. Um, disaster because i think it is i think it's a total failure from every single corner but you know and i've said this many times and i'm sure you've mentioned this but you know there is um there is at least a clear-cut direction at that point right if if we Mm -hmm. miss the playoffs we have another lottery pick and kimball walker is going somewhere else we don't save a lot of money um if kimball walks because he doesn't have a big cap hit he's only making 12 million dollars right now but you lose easily the, your best player now, the best player in franchise history. And now you don't have a choice but to start over, right? And, and it, you know, that might be the best thing for Michael Jordan to just literally run his own team so deep into cap hell uh, and, and then and lose his best player because of that, because of his decision-making that he, he arrives at a place where he has to start over, right? Like that might be the best thing for him. Uh, yeah. And I think he's got a guy, Mitch Kupchak, who – who has the uh, the gravitas to to stand up to him and say no 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 I'm making this decision I hope that to be the case I know some people in, within the franchise that are optimistic about that so that's kind of those are all the scenarios to me right now um, I think if they sneak into the playoffs pro- we probably both agree they're going to get swept by Milwaukee yeah um, and 
I don't know that that like missing the playoffs and making the playoffs again swept. I'm not sure it makes a big difference to Kimba resigning here, but uh, I'm interested in kind of what you think about that. You know, as I've kind of dissected the situation a little bit, um, I've kind of come to the realization that Kemba leaving might be a blessing in disguise. And I've I've talked about this on Queen City Hoops multiple times. I've talked about this on Twitter numerous times, been in numerous Twitter arguments over this. But in my opinion, Kemba Walker leaving would be a blessing in disguise. And even though it's certainly a hard pill to swallow, and it's, like you said, it's complete top-down organizational failure. They have they have no excuses for how they've gone about this. Um, they bet on themselves year after year, saying that, I remember a couple of years back in the offseason, we said our big addition of the offseason was MKG coming back. Uh, that next season, he got injured again. And this season, he's obviously been a lot better, but he's not receiving the same minutes. Um, but in a long-term sense, in my opinion, losing Kemba Walker is the best route to go because, as you said, it's just a clear, clear-cut direction for Michael Jordan to go go forward. He doesn't have an option but to rebuild and uh, start swinging for the fences in the draft and building this team from the ground up is is what I think is the best direction for the team. Right, and you know, obviously, we agree on kind of that blessing in disguise point. I think, but it's just such a bummer that you know, an NBA franchise couldn't see the bigger picture, you know, a little more than a year ago at the trade deadline, you know, that that's just such a bummer. Yeah. An NBA franchise with their, with their best player of all time couldn't capitalize on that. Right. Right. I mean, they they just couldn't realize that the ceiling is so low. Like what, what is, what is it actually worth getting him back a year from now on a five year max contract? You don't have any other options to build the team. So like there's no more cap flexibility. So what is really, the pie in the sky here. It's just, it's just so short-sighted, and that is, that's just such a bummer. And it'll be interesting because, I mean, I, I don't know what your take will be on this, but I, I don't think Charlotte lets him walk from the table. I think they're going to sit, sit him down. They're going to make him sign this five-year max, and they're just going to figure things out as they go. They're going to take things on the fly. And I, as, I, yeah, go ahead. As as short-sighted as that may seem. That might make sense in the long term. I mean, I know the player culture they're trying to build here. They want Kemba to be a hornet for life, but that's such a short-sighted view to have. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, letting Kemba leave and building through the draft is something that's going to produce team success, which in my opinion, team success is a lot more important than a player culture. Your, Your organization can be hated, but you can still be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, number one, I think you're dead on about, I mean, I, I, I've talked to someone within the organization that has told me if he gets up from the table and does not sign on the dotted line, there's, they're not, there's not even fear within the team that he's not going to resign. They're almost, they almost know it. So the, the Hornets very clearly understand that, you know, at midnight on July 1, they have to be in the same room as Kimba, and they cannot let him leave until he signs. And if that doesn't happen, they know they're not going to get a second meeting. So you're dead on there, um, at least from what I've heard. You know, and, you know, what you said, too, is is correct. And this franchise has to build through the draft. And I think they, on some subconscious level, understand, they understand that. Um, but 
you know, this is this is a franchise is probably in the bottom five in terms of revenue generated in the NBA. Um, you know, obviously the the CBA has a you know, kind of a trickle-down revenue system toward the smaller markets, you know, collect something from all the money that the Warriors are making and these other big markets that are also successful on the court. Um, so that helps, you know, it's almost like a bailout. But, you know, Kimball Walker is like a classic example of a small market team having a player who has kind of transcended um, certain factions of the fan base because of, you know, breaking franchise records and being such a likable person within the community and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what that does, I think, Noah, is it it vastly overrates what Kimball Walker mm-hmm. actually is on, on, on the court, right? And like that, yeah. at the end of the day, should be the decision. I mean, it it's great that he's a good person. And, you know, and it's great that he, you know, everyone's got his back, you know, with within the fan base. But I don't think that, paying him $190 million is smart. I, I just don't think Kimball Walker is that caliber of player. I love Kimball Walker, but it also doesn't mean that I have to just say, yeah, I guess I got to give him this deal, right? And I and I hope that the Hornets, and maybe they do realize that, you know, between now and July 1. Seriously, maybe there's, maybe there's a corner of this franchise, and maybe it's Mitch Kupchak that says, let's look at this thing from this side, though. Do we really need to give him this deal? You know, go to him and say, hey, what, you know, take five years. Um, you know, we'll, we'll give you 30 a year for five. We're not giving you the max, though. You know, some Kyle Lowry, you know, type of money. But, the, you know, it's obviously for five full years or maybe offering four. You know, but you're not getting the full max. And, and here's why. Because you're not up to that level. And here are the players that are above you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Of course, he's going to walk at that point. But yeah. I, mean, I think you and I are both saying, OK, so so what? Like at least yeah. we have a direction. Yeah, it's it's not a, an all or nothing scenario for the Hornets this offseason whatsoever. Uh, you take him to the table, you offer him the deal that you think is best. You take a step back and you look at this team, and you ask yourself, is this team better with Kemba in the future and with Kemba and Batum and whatever other pieces they can surround him with in the future? Whether you think that's Monk if he's going to develop or Miles Bridges certainly has looked promising or do you take a step back and you decide, hey, let's let Kemba Walker walk and build through this draft with prospects like Cole Anthony in 2020? Uh, a lot of good players like Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman. Obviously, these na- these names mean nothing to you guys right now, but I can promise you I've seen these players, and they are incredible. Um, they're franchise-building players, and from what I've heard, um, that 2020 draft is a lot deeper than the 2019 draft, which is fairly underwhelming. And I just think that once they look outside the box that they're currently in, which is the 2018-19 season, you're looking at a team that has very little cap flexibility in the near future. And just something, a new fresh start is something that they need with Kimball Walker walking. And I just think that's the best way to go. Um, I know that uh, recently you posted about the Zach Lowe pod, this little bit that you found in there, if you want to expand on that. Yeah, I was, I was listening yesterday, driving up the road, and um, you know, it, it, it was it, it was very obvious who Zach was talking about to me, what he was talking about when he was telling the story. But he he had Kevin Artivitz on the podcast, and he, you know, they were talking about Kevin's story. He did a, a deep dive story on the Phoenix Suns and kind of what's what's gone wrong really um, in the past five or six years with the franchise. Uh, so, and it's a great read too. So I would uh, recommend that. But 
you know, then Lowe kind of expands on the direction that, that Phoenix went in and how this one team in this one draft um, was facing a situation where they were offered, um, you know, a package of future first round picks and, and possibly there was a veteran player involved in there and how there was an owner general manager struggle, but, but not even really that more of just like a, there was nobody in the room to stand up to the owner and be like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Anyways, if you follow the Hornets on any level in the past um, four years, you, you know that it was them. It was the it, Frank Pinsky yeah. draft. Uh, it was the four first round picks that were offered. And look, there, there's like a part of the Hornets fan base that says, no, no I, I don't believe that like those reports were accurate. I don't know what else, like what other evidence you need. Every single respected major writer about the NBA it has basically reported the exact same thing. They were mm-hmm. offered four first-round picks. And I know that two other teams ahead of them were or behind them maybe were as well, but that's really not the point. The point is that the Hornets still, again, blew it in the draft. And regardless of what you think about those first, those four first-round picks and, and you know where you think they were going to fall, and two of them, or I guess three of them maybe, were late to mid-first-rounders, it's still putting assets in the cupboard that literally are, you know, galaxies greater than Frank Kaminsky on any level, right? So, like, that decision, no matter how you look at it, I don't think you can debate that it didn't set this franchise back at least 10 years. That was was absolutely the fork in the road for the Hornets. Like, you chose that path with Frank Kaminsky and you couldn't turn back, and that that was that. Exactly right. Exactly right. So... You know, it is what it is now. It's a sunk cost. Um, you know, I don't think that, that Frank will be back in Charlotte. Um, no. His his free agency will be interesting. Um, but, but yeah, it, it was a decision made very clearly by Michael Jordan. And, you know, that was my point earlier about Mitch Kupchak. I, I really do believe, and I know there's a feeling within the team, that he can stand up to Jordan. And, uh, I, I mean, he doesn't need to demand respect from Jordan. I think Jordan does respect him, but he can say, this is my decision. Right. And I do think, and I don't know who these people are, but I do think there were people around Jordan that really encouraged that hiring because of that exact reason. There's an awareness. With that no, nobody, nobody in that front office is going to say no to Michael Jordan. Like, yeah, certainly not the Rich Cho front office. No, yeah, no way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was That's his first time. Yeah, it was his first time ever having, uh, you know, a, he was a rookie GM, right? So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, he wasn't going to do it. But um, but I think Mitch Kupchak can, and there's an awareness within the team, within the organization, that that is what has to happen from here moving forward if this thing's going to get better. Absolutely. And uh, just touching on the rather weak 2019 draft, but – it's looking kind of good for the Hornets at this point because uh, their odds are looking a lot better for that number one or top four slot because of the restructured lottery. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at any of the draft prospects or look at any, any of them in depth. Uh, I recently wrote, wrote a uh, Queen City Hoops article that actually went up today uh, looking at players that are boomer bust potential for Charlotte, uh, regardless of what range they fall in um, with their pick, obviously. And these are just prospects that I thought they should swing for the defenses for something that Charlotte rarely does uh, in the draft. They usually uh, take take the bunt, take the sure thing. Uh, you see that with Frank Kaminsky and Miles Bridges over uh, certain other players. Um, but the players that I dissected in that piece were Bull Bull, 
Sekou Domboya and Kevin Porter Jr. out of USC. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at any of the prospects that you have your eye on for the Hornets, but uh, yeah. So I, um, yeah, I, I have not read your piece yet. I, I've got it bookmarked um, to read it later, but I'm glad you told me those names. So I haven't really seen much at all of Kevin Porter Jr. Um, you know, obviously saw a little bit of ball ball at the beginning of the season, and then he got hurt. I agree with you there. I think that he's, he has some intriguing um, intangibles. Uh, and then who, oh, and then. Um, Demboya. Yeah, Demboya. I really haven't, I think I saw like a, a Mike Smith tweet about of him shooting the ball. Um, <laughs> is he in the Greek league? Is that where? He's, he plays or, for Limoges in, CSP Limoges in French, in France. Oh, in, that's okay. In France. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I saw him shoot the ball and obviously, you know, with his length, that, that was a really pure looking jump shot. So, you know, early, I, I think what people are learning earlier and he's 230 pounds. I mean, wow. Um, you know, yeah. he seems very intriguing, you know, guys that I've seen play and I'm high on that I think will be in the Hornets range. Um, I mean, if they got, any shot at DeAndre Hunter. I think that's kind of like the pie in the sky um, mm-hmm. scenario for them right now. I, I love him. Um, yes, I follow UVA hoops closely, but I don't even think I'm biased with this one. Like he, he reminds me a lot of um, Obi Ananobi. Um, I, I think he can pr- be a little bit better than that. I think he's a little bit o- more offensively posh coming in. Um, but I think Hunter's great. Um, Brandon Clark out of Gon- both of Gonzaga guys. I like uh, Hachimura. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Clark, these are both just really physical, uh, really athletic guys that have some good size. Um, outside of that, man, I'm not psyched about a lot. I think Alexander Walker out of Virginia Tech has some potential. Um, well, one more guy, actually, that I've watched recently who I think when it's all said and done in this draft, like has to flirt with the lottery. And that's Tyler Hero out of Kentucky. That Ooh. he 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 I mean, can obviously knock down the outside shot. I think he's one of those guys, almost like a Devin Booker type, where Kentucky uses him just running off ball screens a lot, so he doesn't put, or excuse me, running off flare screens and off ball screens, but doesn't put the ball in his hands a lot and ask him to really make plays, almost how they use Devin Booker and also how they use Kevin Knox. So I think he has more offensively than than we've seen at Kentucky, and he's also been their best wing defender, which I think has been surprising to people. So... His numbers don't jump off the page, but he's one of those dudes who I think just fits into like any NBA system because of how he can play off the ball, be a low um, volume player, but also be very, very efficient and give you something defensively. Almost like uh, what we're seeing from Kevin Herter with the mm-hmm. Hawks this year. Mm-hmm. I-, I think Hero's one of those. So that that's kind of like mid late first round guy that I would watch to rise. Maybe the Hornets would be interested in. And you know what? When you first said Tyler Hero, I, I kind of took it as a hot take. But honestly, with this with this draft, there's nothing set in stone. And any mock draft that has the same the same set of prospects that every other mock draft has is lying to you. This this draft has potential for major fluctuation, uh, certain prospects rising and falling at the beginning of the draft process, or at the beginning of the college season. I remember Kevin Porter Jr. himself was a projected top five pick. Uh, he went on a tear in his first five games and absolutely killed it. And now he's regressed down to uh, recently I saw him in the 20s. So nothing is set with this draft. Anybody can rise and fall. But looking at Tyler Hero specifically, he's a 6'5 guard uh, who can't really can't really defend, in my opinion. I mean, he's 
he's a good defender. He keeps him front, but I don't know if he has the team defending mentality. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah. But so, who, what I, do you? Here's a question for you. What do you think okay. the the greatest like positional need? Just if we could drill it down to that when looking at prospects for the Hornets is. I know what mine is, but I'm interested. I mean, because I think the Hornets need a lot of things, right? But like, what would you mm-hmm. circle as the is the greatest positional need? Oh, man, that's they need a lot of things. Um, they, yeah. uh, shoot, I I would probably say front court help is where they need to focus. Uh, you have Marvin Williams, you have Bismack Biombo, Willie Hernan Gomez isn't looking as promising as we had once hoped. Um, I think front court help is where they need to focus this this draft. Uh, I don't know where that comes from. You talked about Brandon Clark, but. Uh, Bull Bull is a name that sticks out to me just as a guy who you can bring in. He doesn't have to start immediately. You have Cody Zeller. He can learn behind him. Uh, but front court help is where I would focus. Also, Jackson Hayes out of Texas is another uh, name I would watch as a 6'11 big with a 7'4 wingspan. Uh, his draft stock is going to rise throughout the process, I have a feeling. Yeah, I have seen a little bit with uh, of him, and, and I do like Jackson. Um, and also, like, Texas just has, like, a history now of putting out centers that are successful in yeah. the NBA. So, uh, but I agree with you. I think it's front court. I mean, I think it's power forward specifically just because, I mean, Marvin Williams, the Hornets ask a lot of him, and he's very reliable. But, you know, let's be honest. Like, the guy's – He's, he's almost done. Yeah. He's, he's running on fumes at this point. Um, so, yeah, I, I – you know, talking power forward – I mean, I agree with you. Hayes would be kind of a pie in the sky at center. Um, Bull Bull is more of like a shoot for the stars and let's yeah. see what happens. But um, do you think it, do you think Andre Hunter could play power forward? Oh yeah, yeah. You think I, so? I I really do. In today's NBA, absolutely. That that guy. I mean, I don't know how much you've seen of him this year, but he's he is built as well as any prospect in this draft to me. Like so when I like when you see him and RJ Barrett next to each other. Uh-huh. He makes R.J. Barrett look small. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, just, yeah. Go back and watch some DeAndre Hunter uh, film and just freeze frame that guy next to, yeah, I think Barrett's probably a good uh, a good example, a good case study. He's, I mean, he's 225 pounds at 6'7". Um, I, yeah, I think his physicality absolutely gives him the tools to defend power forwards. I mean, he has a 7'2 wingspan, so I don't, I don't necessarily doubt that he could defend power forwards. But what makes you think that uh, DeAndre Hunter at six seven could guard power forwards better than Miles Bridges? Um, well, see, I'm not super high on Miles Bridges um, long term playing a lot of power forward. I think it's a nice addition that you know you can slide him there if you need to, you know, depending on matchups. Yeah. But I, I think he's a wing defender. I think DeAndre Hunter is one of those guys who is truly a two through four def- defense kind of guy. I, I never really, uh, you know, I, I maybe flirted with the idea of Miles being that, but I never truly thought he was going to match up with power forward successfully. I think Hunter can. I mean, I just, the way, again, the way he's already built, um, you can't move him uh, really around the basket um, uh, on the block. And, a guy moves his feet as well and slides and chops his feet as well as any man that size I've seen in college this year, going up against the best players in the country in the ACC. Um, I think the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, if Virginia can finally get over the hump, is I think the country is going to find out pretty quickly 
just the physical tools and how dominant they are with DeAndre mm-hmm. Hunter. Um, it's just it's just the mass. I mean, that would be the number one thing, the kind of the the buzzword I would use when describing why I think he could defend power forwards. He, you're not going to overpower him. All right. I re- wasn't he? He was a player last year who sat out and was basically the reason they lost to the 16 seed, right? He was. He was injured last season. Yep. Um, which really, really hurt Virginia. I mean, everything changes for them, especially defensively. You know mm-hmm. when they when they don't have him. He's a he's man. He's a Swiss Army knife. He can do a lot of different stuff on the floor. Absolutely. And the Hornets need as many Swiss Army knives as they can get because they need help in every single area possible. Um, all right. Well, that is going to wrap up our first episode of the Vent Podcast. We got a lot of hot takes, a lot of frustrations and such to let go of. Um, but first and foremost, I'd like to thank Spencer for coming onto the pod. It was great having you. Uh, if you guys want to check him out on Twitter, his handle is QCH Spencer. Uh, he's also on Buzzbeat Radio, which is a Blue Wire podcast network. And Spencer, it was great having you on, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, you know, congrats on on having the show. I know you do a great job. Um, again, you know, we were talking before I jumped on here, Noah, and he he let me know that he's a senior in high school, and now I feel like uh, I'm watching like the next DeAndre Hunter of the uh, <laughs> the Hornets coverage world. I'm super high on your potential, and uh, but no, you're doing a great job with Queen City Hoops. Seriously, I'm super happy that I found you and asked you to take over the site, and it's in much better hands now than it was in mine. So. Appreciate what you're doing. Let me know when I can help. And we'll have to give you on BuzzBeat. Uh, we'll have to get you on there sometime. Of course. I really appreciate it. We're going to have more draft coverage coming, and uh, hopefully we'll get the BuzzBeat guys involved on QCH, and we're really looking forward to that. So thank you, guys. Thank you for tuning in, and this will conclude the first episode of the Vent Podcast. In the back with my niggas, all this and we might act up. Come across me, cause you know we all strapped up. You want me, cause you seen a nigga stacked up. But I can keep, I just wanna be the backup. With my niggas, all this and we might act up. Come across me.